Thank you. Thank you, everybody. How are you this evening? You good? Hey, take your seats. Take your seats. So good to be with you this evening. Thank you, band. You guys are amazing. Um, I was saying, uh, I, I am actually getting um, married next weekend, and I thought it probably, Felicity, my fiance, is in the front row. Hey, Felicity. Hey. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking, uh, if, if, if I could just sing like Dylan, I probably could have convinced Felicity to get married to me a little bit earlier. I wish I had his voice. Um, uh, but tragically, I just have red hair. Uh, but it gets people's attention because you're like, oh, where, who's that guy with the red hair? Yeah, anyway. So, um, hey, it's really good to be with you this evening. I've actually got one of my uh, uh, friends with me, uh, Christian Vakulik. He's one of our C3 college students doing leadership with us. Welcome, Christian. Christian's interning with uh, looking after Pastor Phil's social media. So don't think that an internship at C3 college is like, oh, I'm going to be licking envelopes. I uh, know you get some real experience. And uh, hey, the, you know what I love about being here is that I feel like it's family. I feel like I'm with family. And there are nice churches. You can go and speak somewhere and, the, and, the, and everyone in the church is nice to you. But it's something different when you feel like you're actually a part of the family of the church. And I, and I just want to say thank you for welcoming me. Thank you for loving me and Felicity. I love being with you guys. You are family. And it truly is a privilege to speak and, and to minister here this evening. And uh, Pastor, Pastor Hartley and Pastor Natalie are just amazing pastors. When you're looking after as much as Pastor Hartley and Pastor Natalie are, it's easy to just focus on your lane and focus on your race and focus on your church. Like in, in terms of from like a structural point of view, Pastor Hartley doesn't owe me anything and yet is continually encouraging me and looking out for me and always just uh, uh, believing the best in me. And uh, I'm just really grateful for that, for grateful for your pastors. Can we please honour them? They're amazing pastors. They're amazing pastors. They really care about the person, and uh, that's a great example for me to follow. So thank you. Uh, okay, we're gonna we're gonna talk on it. We're in this series uh, called Real Conversations, and um, uh, I'm torn here because I want to go uh, because the, the, what we're talking about today is real conversations, and 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 the series we're, that we're looking at across our campuses and our locations is helping. Uh, helping our people in our churches to navigate our relationships successfully in a world that's become focused on outcomes. In a world that's become focused on outcomes and what's in it for me or what can you produce and what can you contribute, well then how do we keep our personal and face-to-face relationships sweet? How can we ensure that we continue to honour one another? And it certainly is a challenge and the temptation with me, for me here is to go down a practical pathway and we'll do a little bit of that at the start. But really I think in order for relationships to be sweet, in order for our relationships to honour God, to glorify God and to honour each other, I think it's actually a spiritual solution. I think there's a spiritual brokenness in all of us that is met through Christ Jesus and when we connect with Jesus, that's when good, out, that's when good fruit happens. We need to get it right with Christ. We need to realize who we are in Christ. We need to realize how good we have it in Christ. We need to realize what we have available in Christ. And when we get that revelation, when that becomes a, when that becomes a fundamental understanding for us, we no longer need to strive and try to be good in relationships because the grace of God is just flowing through our life. So I really want to talk about the spiritual element here, and there'll be practical components. But I really, I, I was as I was meditating on this word, I did feel that 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 tension. Should I go this way or that way? But as I was reading Luke 15, I just really felt that the Holy Spirit breathed on this parable, the parable of the prodigal son, and looking at how a revelation of the perfect Father God is all you need for fruitful, healthy, holy relationships. 
when you get that revelation, everything else changes. It's no longer a fight and a struggle. You're not focused on outcomes because you're not defined by what you produce. You're not defined by the outcome. You're defined by the perfect love the Father has for you. When that becomes a revelation and not just an intellectual understanding, but when it sits deep in your spirit, it changes you. It truly changes you. And I've been on a journey with that. And once I received that revelation, it really lifted pressure off me. And so I'm thinking this evening, we might have a moment at the end for everyone to kind of get realign themselves with the perfect father, to get intimate with the Lord again tonight. And tonight you're going to hear a word and that for, for the blokey blokes like myself, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, blokey bloke. Okay, so um, the word intimacy can make us a bit uncomfortable. Um, but we're going to talk about the word intimacy and having an intimate relationship with the perfect Father God. And I know that we would have in this room this evening, uh, when I say the word Father, when I talk about the Father God, there'll be numerous reactions and numerous responses because some of us had terrible fathers, some of us had negligent fathers, some of us had abusive fathers, some of us had fathers that didn't care about us, some of us had fathers that weren't able, emotionally mature enough to connect with us, and then some of us have had brilliant fathers, supportive fathers, encouraging fathers. So when I say father, I'm not talking about your dad. I'm talking about the perfect dad, the perfect father who loved you so much he sent his son to die on your behalf. He loves you so much he gave his life for you. That's the father we're talking about. So when we get intimate with him, our life begins, we begin to feel whole, we begin to feel satisfied, we begin to feel secure. Sound good? So as we're talking about, um, and I'm going to kind of talk with you. That's why I've come down here as well, to kind of remind myself to not preach, but um, just I want to talk for a little bit and, uh, and, and just be real. And, uh, and, and this will remind my, my, me to be real and not get caught up in my preaching persona. Okay, so, um, uh, but the, the, before we go into this, the, the parable of the prodigal son, uh, the, one, well, the one point I did want to encourage us on as we look practically at our relationships and how we can better honor each other and keep sweet attitudes with each other is this point, is that the price for self-development is patience. The price for development in others and the price for development in yourself is patience. Psalm 37 verse 7 says it like this, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger, even in traffic. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. The price for development is patience. Hebrews 12, 11, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The price of development is patience. Um, uh, a few weeks ago, Felicity lives in Newport on the northern beaches, which is pretty far north. And I'm currently, our new place, I'm living in our place in Surrey Hills in the city. So if I go over to visit Felicity, it's like a day trip. And um, so, seriously, and so... Um, um, uh, it was about 10 o'clock at night or something, and I was saying goodbye on my way home. And like, for me, that's like a 50-minute journey, which is, that's just tough for me because I'm a diva. So, um, 
was like, okay, well, you know, I've got to do it because I can't not go, you know. So I'm driving home, and uh, at 10 o'clock at night, though, there's no traffic, so you're, you're pretty smooth sailing. Like, it's, you're getting all the green lights. You might be speeding a little bit. I don't know if you're not, not me, of course. But, you know, you're doing really well. You, you're really, you're getting there. You're getting there on path, and you're like, okay, cool. It's a long journey, but at least it's smooth sailing. Everything's consistent. Yeah, there's cars on the road, but because there's not heaps of traffic, it's all really smooth sailing until I get to about Northbridge. So I've made it in 25 minutes pretty good, but I get to Northbridge, I'm about to go onto the bridge, onto uh, to the Harbour Bridge, and uh, as I'm going, it's about 10:30 at night, and uh, there's two cars ahead of me, but it's all good because we're all keeping the same pace. So their 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 race, their journey, that's not obstructing me. I'm, they're all good. I um, I know they're ahead of me, but they're not doing anything wrong. But then just up ahead of the two cars that are ahead of me, this uh, this car with a massive boat behind it that's trailing behind it pulls out in front of those two cars. And so they slam to a halt because he hasn't like he hasn't like, he's not driving cautiously right now. He's just like I need to get this car this car home. So he just pulls out in front of him. And so they slam onto their brakes, which means I have to slam onto my brakes. And then uh, from that Northbridge Bridge, it's like a uphill up until you get to Camaray. And so this car, we were all going 70 before. We were all cruising. We were all loving it because this car up ahead now is carrying an enormous boat trailer. It can only go 20 k's up this hill. Right, and what's infuriating about it for me is not only that he's been inconsiderate and just pulled out and now going 20 k's an hour, it is that behind me there was nobody. He could have just waited 30 seconds, right? Has anyone experienced something like this? the selfishness of the man? Good God, right? He just pulled out in front when the, you just wait 30 seconds and no one's impacted. Right? Anyway, so now I'm behind this boat trailer going 20 k's an hour. I might as well have been in peak hour traffic because I cannot go any faster than 25 k's an hour. Right? So he's going up this hill, and I'm like, I'm like a low key fumer. Like, I'm like, oh, this is so annoying. This guy is ruining it, right? And I see, and this is like, uh, God often does this to me. It's like I'm getting annoyed at this boat guy. And he's going, if he just waited 30 more seconds, it wouldn't have impacted anyone. And I felt like the Lord showed me how that's often true in my own life and in our own lives, is that we're in such a rush to be first, we're in such a rush to be out in front of everyone, that we don't recognize and don't pay attention to the baggage that we're carrying, and we don't realize how our baggage affects other people. We're just like, i got to be first, got to get out there, i got to keep up with everybody else, right? Because we're not aware of our baggage, because all we're thinking is about, I have to be like everybody else, I have to be out in front, I have to be the best. And so our commitment to being the best, our idolization of being best, about being first, about being seen, is about being the same as everybody else. Our idolization of that causes us to be ignorant of the baggage that we're carrying, of the struggles that we're facing. And what that causes is relational friction because it holds everybody else up because we've put our baggage ahead of the other person. And so the law was showing me that because I'm much the same is that instead of dropping to the back of the line, instead of being patient for the Lord and not fretting yourself over who prospers and who doesn't, instead of dropping to the back of the line and allowing God to work on you, you pretend that you don't have an issue and just live like your life like there's nothing different about you. Almost ignorant to the effect that our insecurity and our insufficiencies have on our world and on our relationships. But my encouragement to you this evening is that you do not have to be first in order to be fruitful. You do not have to be famous in order to be fruitful. You do not have to be the best in order to be fruitful. Jesus doesn't say, well done, good and famous servant. He doesn't say, well done, good and successful servant. He doesn't say, well done, good and first servant. He says, well done, good and 
faithful servant. We are not in a rush here. We are not in a race against each other. So fret not over one who prospers before you, but wait patiently for the Lord. You do not always have to have it together. You do not have to feel bad about having unique struggles. And you also don't need to think you're always going to be behind just because you feel behind right now. The price of development is patience. You don't have to keep up with the person who's prospering in their way. You just have to keep faithful to Jesus. Don't allow the baggage to get out in front. Don't allow the baggage to be, don't be ignorant of the baggage. If you have baggage, just deal with it. Don't assume that, that, that you have to always be where everybody else is at. Everybody at some stage is going to have a boat trailer attracted their journey, right? Everyone's going to have to carry that thing. Don't pull out in front of head. Trust in the faithfulness of God. Be patient for God. Know that the price for our development is patience. Wait for Him and He will do it. This applies in numerous settings. I think uh, one setting it's applicable to is our relationship status. May I encourage anyone who's single here this evening, I know I'm about to get married, but uh, getting married is not the gold medal. <laughs> getting married is not the gold medal. There is no podium in relationships. If you are single, it's not a status to be ashamed of. So don't feel the need to jump into something with a load of baggage you haven't worked on with God yet. There's no podium here. This is not a competition. This is not something you get a gold medal because I'm getting married. That Me getting married doesn't make me any better than anybody else. It probably just makes me a little bit luckier, right? So, right? But, yeah, right? Now, come on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I mean, I'm insulted, but thank you. All right. So, right? It's the, but this is what we do, right? We're so, like, oh, I've got to be in a relationship. I've got to be with someone. I've got to have someone that we don't pay, like, we're like, oh, but you've got all this stuff you haven't worked out. You're insecure. You're working on this kind of thing. God wants to really test you on this. God wants to develop you on this. Be like, ah, oh, forget the boat trailer. I'm just going to pull out and pretend that I'm like everybody else. Don't rush into those relationships. Deal with what God wants to deal with you. The second one we do it often in is social settings or church settings. So we take up every single opportunity because we have a fear of missing out. But if we take up every opportunity, if we're out every night, if we're at every single thing, it makes, us, it makes it almost impossible to give serious quality time to our relationship with God and our spiritual development. And so eventually, because we've been so focused on being popular or so focused on being in the in crowd, our issues become unmanageable. And so eventually we cannot contain our insecurity anymore, or we cannot contain our flaws anymore, and so they manifest in public, and we cause ourselves to be embarrassed or create relationship friction that never needed to happen if we had just given time for the Lord to work on us. If we had just given Him time. Yeah, yeah, go on, go on. And then finally, I mean, this is just the preface, by the way. Okay, where are we going to get to? Finally, uh, is um, uh, a career or ministry career or ministry. May I encourage you this? The ladder that you climb is only good as good as the foundation that it stands on. The ladder that you climb is only as good as the foundation that it stands on. So you might be making things happening, lots of opportunities but might be happening. You might be doing really great at work and hustling. We might be getting a lot of ministry opportunities and really doing great. But if Christ isn't the foundation, your life will become about your status. Your life will become about your paycheck. Your life will become about your profile. Your life will become about the respect that peers have for you or the job title that you have instead of being who you are in Christ, which is righteous. Your righteousness is now, you're trying to find your righteousness in a paycheck when it was already purchased for you on the cross. 
It's easy to distract ourselves with responsibility instead of the stuff that God wants to work on within us. God's discipline and development, this hurts, God's discipline and development can often halt your social, career or ministry progress. But if we climb the ladder and lose sight of Jesus, what have we gained? If we climb the ladder and lose sight of Jesus, what have we gained? The price for our development, and I mean not just development in terms of great relationships, I mean not just development in terms of doing well in life, but our development of the character of Christ in us, which really is the priority, Christ in us, that development, the price for that is patience. We can't make this happen overnight. We can't go, go, go to a Sunday service and get a, hear a great word from Pastor Hartley and get impacted and then think, okay, now I'm done, it's changed, it's all over. No, it takes work, it takes time, it takes patience. The price for our development in our relationship world is patience. Not just patience with us, patience with God, but patience with each other. We've got to be patient with the person that's taking that boat trailer behind them, not dismiss them because they're going too slow. So sometimes it's on the people who don't have the baggage to recognize who's carrying that boat trailer of struggle and go, hey, hey, I'm not going to rush you. You're not in a race with me. I'll slow down with you. I'll help you. The price for development is patience. You with me? Okay, uh, Luke chapter 15, the parable of the prodigal son. And for sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole scripture. And I know I, I, I'm assuming most of us know that passage. And if you don't know, don't feel like you're an outsider. I'll kind of quickly describe it. But it's a story of, of two sons. And uh, the youngest son, uh, I'm giving you like the Reader's Digest version, the youngest son is, um, is like, uh, he's like, okay, he's had enough, he's, he's from a wealthy family, he, he, he has an inheritance due for him when his father dies, but he can't be bothered to wait that long, he wants to live now, he wants to party now. So he says to his dad, give all that is owed to me, give me all the wealth, give all that's meant to be to me, I want it now and I'm going to go on my own way. So the father obliges, and then what happens with the son is that he kind of screws up, he just goes out and lives licentiously. He lives very selfishly, very self-indulgent with no wisdom. He lives it up. He's having a party. He's sleeping around. He's wasting his money. There's no wise investment. There's no wisdom, humility, or uh, biblical obedience involved in his behavior. He is just living for himself and living in sin until ultimately it fails him. He runs out of money and then the, uh, the, the, there's a famine in the land and he can't generate enough money. So he ends up working with the pigs and he ends up, his diet is full of pig food. And he's in this place and he realized how much his life sucks. And he goes, okay, I've stuffed up. I'm going to go back to my father and be a servant. At least I would get a better wage. At least I'd live better than how I'm living now. So he makes his way back to the father. And you know the story. The father comes out with running arms, with grace, with love, kindness, and accepts the son. But I kind of want to look at three, three kind of passages here this evening and look at the two sons. Look at the two sons and their connection to the father and looking at how both their errors are a lack of intimacy with God. Both their errors, both their problems are a lack of intimacy with the Father. They didn't realize how good the Father was, so they tried to do their own thing. And when we lack intimacy, our relationships suffer. When we lack intimacy with God, our relationships suffer. I could share a sermon about how good it is to be selfless, humble, sincere, authentic, kind, transparent, all the good fruits, all the good outcomes in relationships. I could share about that value and benefit, but really none of them compare to having intimacy with God the Father. Right? They're all outcomes, and it's easy to get distracted by outcomes and read all the self-help books you can, but if you haven't got intimacy with the perfect Father, they don't mean much. They might make us feel good, they might, but if we make them the goal, if we make the outcomes the goal, we've missed the point. The point is to be intimate with the Father God. So in verse, and then my first, uh, the, let's read verse uh, 17 through to 19. 
But when the son came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against you and I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Here's the point. The son lost knowledge of his identity because he lacked intimacy with his father. He lost knowledge of his identity. So he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as a servant. So because of his circumstance, because of what he's done, he no longer sees him as the beloved son of the father. He sees himself as a servant who needs to repay a debt. He lost sight of his identity because he didn't have intimacy with the perfect father God. He saw himself through the lens of his circumstance instead of the lens of the perfect father's love. His identity hadn't changed, his perspective had. So no matter what, you st- what stuff-ups you've brought into your relationships, no matter how guilty you feel, no matter what wrong you've done, maybe you have been selfish, maybe you have been negligent, maybe you've done something wrong, maybe you've stuffed up, maybe you've sinned, It hasn't changed your identity because of your faith in Christ Jesus. Your identity hasn't changed just because you've stuffed up. The son's identity hadn't changed. He was always the son. It's just that his circumstances sucked. But too often we see ourselves through our circumstances, through our wrong behavior, rather than the love, grace, and acceptance we have in Christ Jesus. We're seeing ourselves through our failures, our insecurities, our sins, and our stuff up. So we think we're a bad husband and a bad wife, a bad boyfriend, a bad girlfriend, a bad mom, a bad dad, a bad son, a bad daughter, a bad sister, a bad brother, a bad friend. But it's because you're seeing yourself through the wrong glasses. You're seeing yourself through the wrong lens. Whatever's going on in your relationship world hasn't changed who you are in Christ Jesus. Whatever's going wrong in your world hasn't changed who you are in Christ Jesus. 1 John 3, 1 says it like this. It's one of my most favorite scriptures ever. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that you shall be called a child of God, and so you are. The defining authority regarding your identity is the love of Jesus Christ. You are a child of God, no matter what you've done. But because we don't aren't intimate with the Father, we don't spend time with our perfect Father. If we do pray, it's to pray for, God, I need this, or God, I, I want to do better at this. We're always in this development. We're addicted to development or addicted to repentance or addicted to guilt. When what if we were addicted to experiencing the love and presence of the Father God? that it change how we see ourselves and it change how we live out our identity. That's who you are. But you won't believe it unless you have a genuine relationship with God. It's good to read relationship books, blogs, and get pastoring and all that, but nothing compares to realizing that you are known by God and that he wants you to know him. 1 Corinthians 8, 3. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. If you love God, you are known by God. So it's not, about God, no, it's not about God knowing you. God knows who you are. It's about you realizing and knowing who he is and who he is to you. In uh, Luke 15, to 24. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. 
and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son is dead, was dead and is alive again. He is lost, he was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. So this is the passage detailing how when the son came back, the father spared no expense to celebrate and welcome his son back into the family. Where the son deserved judgment, where the son deserved, I told you so, where the son deserved to be ridiculed, corrected and disciplined and mocked. He says, get it all, get everything ready. We're celebrating because he has come back to me. He has come back to this house. To know, that the, to know the father is to know that his grace and love are so extravagant that he often entrusts us with blessings, with responsibilities, and with relationships greater than our integrity. I have often found that God entrusts me with relationships, he entrusts me with blessing, he entrusts me with responsibility greater than the level of my integrity. Why? Because that's the scandal of grace. We're not deserving to carry any of it. We're not deserving to hold any of it. We're not deserving to be a part of his team. We're not deserving to be a part of his family. We're not deserving to be a part of his army. We're not deserving to be a part of his kingdom. But because of Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus, through his grace, he entrusts us. He calls us. He uses us. He brings us in. So if you're struggling with your inadequacy, if you're struggling with your insecurity, if you're struggling with guilt, if you're feeling like a failure in your relationships, like you're not contributing enough, like you're not doing enough, remember that he always entrusts us with more than our current level of integrity. Why? Why, why? And this is, this is confronting for some people. Why? Because it causes us to have faith in him because we can't do it in our own strength. So who gets the glory? Not me, him. He calls us to more so that he gets the glory. So that we know we, we continue to abandon our human strength. We continue to abandon relying on ourselves and we trust wholeheartedly in him. And when you trust wholeheartedly in Jesus, you become intimate with him. Because you're risking, you're exposing, you're vulnerable, you're transparent, saying, Lord, help me because I cannot carry what you've given me. Lord, help me because I'm not doing as well as in my relationships. I'm not, a, I'm not a good enough husband. I'm not a good enough father. I'm not doing as good as I could have been. Lord, help me. When you invite him in, that's when you're getting his strength, his power, his wisdom, his love, his kindness, his patience, his grace, and no longer relying on your own strength. When you stay, if you, you stay close to the Father for long enough and you realize how little he defines you by your mistakes or your immaturity. And that's why we can't be outcome-driven in our relationships, demand outcomes from others because God overlooked all the negative outcomes with us. He extends mercy, grace, and kindness when it's the last thing that we deserve. But we truly show how we have not appreciated that when we do not extend the same to others. The only way we can do the same for others is to pursue God and his nature and character, to spend time with him, to be intimate with him, to realize it's not what others can do for me. It's not even all about what I can do for others. It's about experiencing the love and grace the Father has for me. Uh, this is for the young leaders in the room. Your prayer time is not about extra anointing. Your prayer time is not the extra stuff that you get. Your prayer time is not about being anointed. Your prayer time is about spending time with Him. The anointing will just flow. The outcomes will happen. That's not the focus. Focus on Him and let the rest happen as it may because your faith is in Him, not in how long you pray for, not in how earnest your prayers are, not in if you've got like carpet burner on your knees because you've been praying for so long, right? These are not the outcomes, right? The outcome is intimacy with Him. And finally, um, 
the, the, as you know, in the prodigal son, but for sake of time, I'm going to condense it even more. Uh, the prodigal son, the eldest son, right? And it's funny, as I was reading this story, I realized uh, maybe for my first few years, I really resonated with the prodigal son, the undeserving one. But isn't it so funny, church folk, come on, be honest, that how quickly we <laughs> go from being the prodigal son to the eldest son. How quickly we go from being so grateful for grace to being judgmental in our self-righteousness, right? And so I'm, I'm, of sin as I am chief there, I just was so convicted by this passage. But the eldest son, he, he gets angry and he's annoyed at the father because he's saying, why are you celebrating the youngest son? He went and whittled away all your wealth. He, went and, he was so disobedient, so disrespectful, so wasteful. Why are you only lavishing more wealth on him? Why are you only giving him more celebration, more attention, more encouragement? Whilst I've been in your house all this time, I've been a faithful member of your house. I've been a faithful son and I'm not celebrated at all. And so he's indignant with the father. He's not celebrating the son's return. He's annoyed. He's cranky. He's condemning. And this is what the father says to him. And I actually find this to be the saddest passage in all of the Bible. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. The reason why I find it so sad is because that son has spent for however many years in the house and not realized what he has in the father. He's been with him for so long. He's been in the house for so long and hasn't realized what he's got. And then I started to realize how many Christians are living the same journey. You're in the house and he's always with you and all that he has is yours and you don't realize it. Our lack of gratitude is a, is a, is a, is a, show, is a sign of our misunderstanding of the Father's heart. Our lack of gratitude shows a lack of intimacy. Our lack of grace shows a lack of intimacy. Our lack of celebrating others shows a lack of intimacy. A lack of compassion shows a lack of intimacy because all, we were always with him and all that, he was, all that he is is ours. And this is what the Father says. He says, fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. So if the previous two scriptures were comforting, uh, this one's definitely more challenging. Hmm. Um, the prodigal, okay, so here's the deal. The prodigal son's error was licentiousness. His error that he was wasteful. He was disrespectful. He did whatever he wanted. His problem was his licentiousness. The eldest son's problem is self-righteousness. But both show a lack of intimacy with the father. Both show that they have not caught the father's heart. And the eldest son makes just a grave an error with his own self-righteousness. He was angry and refused to celebrate his brother's return. If you cannot celebrate the success of others or show compassion to the struggle of others, then your issue is also your lack of intimacy with the father. Self-righteousness, though, is not always arrogance. Sometimes it's more like impatience. I wish this person would hurry up and get their act together. Sometimes it's hardness. We have no softness for people, no gentleness for people. We're always demanding, driving. Sometimes it's judgment. We're looking at their world and go, I can't believe they're living like this. I can't believe they're doing this. They're, they're, they treat their kids this way. They talk to each other this way. Or it's dismissal. Oh, that person will never get it together. That person will never get it right. That person's not worth considering. They'll be out of church in a couple of years. It's all evidence of self-righteousness that we think that our righteousness had anything to do with us, anything to do with what we have done. It's all to do with what Christ has done. It's all about Jesus. Grace is desperate to see people progress. Self-righteousness wants to point out people's stuff-ups. Grace is seeking out ways to forgive you. Self-righteousness is seeking out points of conflict. Let us not be someone who is in the house and around the Father but doesn't know him personally. For a read that again. 
And he said to him, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. Do you realize, do you appreciate what you have in Christ Jesus? It's not a met, we are not defined by our activity, either good or bad. We are not defined by the outcomes, be they good or bad. We are defined by the righteousness of Christ Jesus. This is the gospel. So how do we ensure we are intimate with the Father? I've been hammering that point. How can we be intimate with the Father? Trust wholeheartedly in Jesus. Seek after Jesus. He will direct you, direct you to the Father. Colossians 1.17, and he is before, it's talking of Jesus, and Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If you want your relationship work to, world to work out, if you want it to start functioning as it should, if you're tired of dysfunction, if you're tired of frustration, if you're tired of guilt and condemnation, don't look to a self-help book, don't look to a blog post, don't look to a pastor, look to Jesus. Because in him, all things hold together. He holds you together as you're working on your struggle with condemnation and guilt. He holds you together as you work through your own self-righteousness and pride. He holds you together. He's as equally as gracious for the one who is self-righteous as the one who was licentious. It's all the same grace. It's all Jesus. So if we just look to Jesus, here's the problem. When we go to pray, we pray just saying, sorry, sorry, sorry. Or we go and pray and say, God, I need this, I need this. We don't pray to experience him. But when we get intimate with the Father, that's when grace starts to flow in our world. When we get intimate with the Father, the insecurities that we've been carrying, the baggage that we've been carrying, that boat trailer that we've been trailing around, let's go. Because we're no longer relying on us and our own strength. We're relying on Jesus and His strength. In a moment, I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. And... Um, this is for anyone here who doesn't feel connected to Jesus. You don't feel intimate with the Father. You're tired of your dysfunction in your world. You're tired of your relationships breaking down. You want an answer. You want a solution. I don't have it. Jesus does. A pastor, a preacher, a self, no one else has it except for Jesus. So in this moment, what I'm going to do is actually ask you to raise your hand and say, yes, I want to receive Jesus. Please do not miss out on this opportunity. Do not miss out to experience his goodness. Maybe you've never had a positive experience with a father. Well, meet the perfect father tonight. Meet the loving, unconditionally loving and gracious father tonight. Don't miss out on this. It changed my life 10 years ago. So if I can ask everyone to bow their heads, close their eyes. There are four kind of people in a, in a service like tonight. The first kind of person is you're, you're in church, you love Jesus, you've connected with the Father, you'd say you're intimate with the Father, you know Him and things are working. Yeah, your life might not be all together, but you know you're right with Christ. Well, this moment, that's not for you. This is not for you this moment, so please pray for everyone else in, in the room that they would have the courage to reach out to God. The second kind of person in the room tonight is that you've never been in church, you've never prayed to Jesus, you've never experienced God, you don't know if He's real, but you want to give Him a go. You want to experience Him. You want to believe that the gospel is good. You want to believe that He can heal you. You want to believe that He can forgive you. In a few moments, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Please raise your hand when I ask you to raise it because I don't want you to miss out on Jesus. The third kind of person is someone who used to be in church. You used to follow Jesus. You used to lift your hands. Maybe you've been coming to church that whole time, but you're no longer in connection. 
You're no longer in love. You're certainly not intimate. And so you're struggling with condemnation or self-righteousness. You're struggling with motivation. You're struggling with despair because you've lost sight of Jesus. When I ask you to raise your hand in the moment, please raise your hand too. I want to pray for you. And finally, the fourth kind of person in a service like tonight is the person who's just not sure. If you walked out of church today and your life ended, You wouldn't be sure if you were going to heaven with Jesus. You wouldn't be sure that you know God. You wouldn't be sure that God knows you. Corinthians talks about it, that those that love God are known by God. You wouldn't be sure if you're known by God. When I count to three, I just want if you were in those three categories, whether you've never been in church, you've never experienced Jesus, or you're used to and you've lost touch, or you're just not sure. When I count to three, I just want you to raise your hand for me. One, two, three. Raise your hand for me. Who is there? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Who else is there? Who else is there? Raise your hand for me. Don't miss out on Jesus. Thank you. Who else is there? Don't miss out on Jesus. This is too important. This is too good. The the Father's love is too perfect, too unfailing, too unconditional. Is there anyone else? Raise your hand for me right now. Raise it for me. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Raise your hand for me. I don't want you to miss this. I made this decision 10 years ago where I finally encountered the perfect love of the Father. Is there anyone else? 